My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us today. So today is week three in our series in Colossians. So if you got your, I almost said green, if you got your teal books... You got your teal books. We're on page uh, 18 this morning. Page 18. And uh, we'll pick up there. I will say that in my notes this week, when I was writing out my teacher notes uh, yesterday, I only wrote Philippians once. Uh, so I felt, I felt pretty good about that. Uh, so I would be extremely nervous if every time I said Philippians today, there was a, a jar that I had to put a dollar in or something. Um, so we'll call that the Christian Philippians jar. All right, so I'm going to read through uh, Philippians chapter 1 and a smidge of chapter 2. Ta-da! There you go. All right. That's fantastic. And utterly not planned. Utterly not planned. That's what a self-inflicted wound looks like, folks, right there. All right, so I am looking at the word Colossians. Uh, and you feel free to not look at the word Colossians and just revel in the beauty of God's word for just a minute. So Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So let me ask you a really simple question to start. Who wrote Colossians? You're like, Paul? Is this a trick question? Some people think it is a trick question. Um, for the comp, so how many of you did I give a commentary to? You got a commentary that you're reading through? Yep, yep, excellent. Um, about 60% of current commentaries uh, that are written within the last 15 years or so believe that somebody other than Paul wrote Colossians. And if your faces scrunch up and you look at me funny and you're like, why would they think that? Uh, here's the, there's two primary arguments. One, Paul does, the, let me phrase it this way, the writer of Colossians, who I firmly believe is Paul, uh, the writer of Colossians does some things with word order that aren't overly consistent with other Pauline epistles. Okay, cool. And then uh, the second thing is that, uh, and this one really makes me chuckle, that the theology that the fully developed theology of Jesus Christ is more advanced than what Paul would have known of. Which I, which I really just want to chuckle. So, so here's why this matters. If Paul didn't write Colossians, if it was somebody else wrote it and he like gave it a thumbs up and see how everything's cool, then a great big chunk of the text of Colossians is inaccurate. Because did you hear several different times while we were reading, like, this really sounded like Paul was highly invested in these words, and then he wrote them. Yep, good. And if it wasn't him, it puts it at a different place and a different time in the canon of Scripture, which would totally reorient our understanding of what he's writing against and what he's writing for. So I just want to say right up front, I'm in the Paul camp. All right? So just... Super crystal clear. So on page 19, I have the word Paul underlined. Oh, by the way, 
Uh, just to orient you to the teal book layout, do you see the blue star in the margin? That denotes the start of a new verse. So you don't have to search quite as hard. So let me rephrase that. So I don't have to search quite as hard to find the start of a new verse because it was driving me bonkers as well. Uh, brother, do you want one of these just to have? Cool. Just have to get that one back when you're done, but thanks. Oh, I have Paul underlined in mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I mark up mine a lot. Like this. Uh, all right, so uh, application. What's the big point of that text? So the, the first word for me is that Paul wrote Colossians. So we're going to get really basic and straightforward here, is that application number one is Paul wrote Colossians. Uh, and my personalization, you know, our personalization is what do we do with that point. Uh, I think we should believe the text, which seems kind of basic, but also a wonderful foundation that we're going to build our study of Colossians on. Like We're going we're to trust that... Uh, the Spirit knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Seems kind of basic, but we've got to, cover the, got to cover the basics. All right, so Paul and what? What is he? He's an apostle. All right, so what's an apostle? Say again? A follower of Christ who was with him? Under his teaching, did Paul fit that definition? He didn't. So, okay, so we need to, can, can we tweak on it then? Is it, all right, cool, good. So I heard one who was, one who was sent out, good. Uh, and specifically in our understanding of a, uh, I would say our being Big Tent Baptist, understanding of what an apostle is, somebody who could testify to the risen Christ. Like Christ is alive because I saw him. So if this is somebody who was sent out and somebody who could testify to the risen Christ, does Paul check those boxes? Yes. Paul checks his box in a super weird way, right? He's strolling along the road one day, and then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 9, I think it is, weirdness happens, right? I mean, you guys are familiar with these stories. You read through the Bible and you're like, that's a weird way to pull that off, God. Like, they're... That seems crazy to me, but this is, this is what he did. Uh, now, when Paul leads with a statement like, I'm an apostle, he is establishing himself as a what? Like, this is my credentials. This is my authority statement. This is my, like, hey, what's coming next? I have the authority to say what is coming next. The reason he needed to lead with that is, is he's going to talk about some things that are not aligned with proper theology in Colossians. Now, when we were in, now this is intentional, when we were in Philippians, it, there wasn't like Yodi and Syntyche would get them squared away, and that's, that's kind of it, right? There's not a lot else going on there. Colossians has a lot of stuff going on, and it is super tricky to nail down, and we'll talk about that as we go through. Uh, but uh, John Davenant, I didn't say Davenport, this is John Davenant. Let's go to the next slide. He had this wonderfully beautiful quote. Uh, oh, sorry, two more. There we go. All right, John Davenant. Remember John Davenant, right? Spurgeon said he had the best commentary of any commentary about any book ever. Uh, this word might make you squinch your eyes up. So an amanuensis, anybody know what an amanuensis is? 
Hey, uh, Mitch, jot this down for me if you would. Jesus is Lord. Write it just like that. Jesus is Lord. Mitch, right then, was my amanuensis. Most of the letters in the New Testament were written not technically by the person like Paul. Now, it's going to sound like I'm saying the opposite of what I just said a minute ago. So I wanted to nail so heavy on the Paul. Paul was speaking the words out loud, and somebody else would have typically written them down. Many times, this would have been an educated slave. Sometimes it would have been the person themselves. Do we have any evidence in Colossians who wrote this one? Who? Paul, because at the very end, he says what? I, Paul, am writing this. Like, well, I... I feel like that's a pretty clear statement, right? But Davenant uses this concept in a way I had never thought about in my entire life before, that the apostle is the one who is the amanuensis of the Spirit. And I thought that was just beautiful. And this is the kind of stuff you get when you read people who have been dead long enough to have worn something like that, <laughs> right? So... Uh, Read the, read the old guys, too. Read the old guys, too. All right, next slide. So my application from this is that Paul has authority to speak for God. Paul has authority to speak for God. And you're like, that seems like a heavy statement. That's a very heavy statement. That's, I mean, this is, this is as big a Christian flex as you get. Because right? think back to the Old Testament. You had, what did we call people who had the authority to speak for God? prophets and what did their batting average have to be it's a thousand guys come on it's like it's embarrassing when it mentions it's like a hundred a hundred you don't get to the major leagues like a hundred is terrible it's a thousand you're batting a thousand right you you get on like every single time you have to be right or what we minus one profit in the count Right? You're, you don't get to like a redo, you get, you get undone. This is not good. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I love how he doesn't beat around the bush. We're going to get to Jesus as quickly as uh, the format would allow. Because remember, the format of a New Testament letter was author, recipient, uh, and the greeting was typically something like, healthy to you is usually four words author recipient healthy you so it would have been paul colossians healthy you does that sound like what these first two verses are like, no 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 and we'll we'll talk about turducken in a minute don't worry we're coming back to it but but just hang tight i, I know you this is what you came for today this is what you came for so paul an apostle of christ jesus by god's will i have a little note in my book that just says read Acts 9, which we're not going to do today, but that's that whole story of like what in the world just happened, craziness. It's all over the place. But who hand-picked Paul to be an apostle? Christ himself, right? Christ himself. So this is, I think, probably the reason Paul goes into this, because he's He's leaning into this authoritative concept. So at the bottom of page 20, application number one, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ picked Paul. Our Lord Jesus Christ picked Paul. 
Now, I want to be very clear about what I say next. So our Lord Jesus Christ picked Paul. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not pick anybody in this room to be an apostle. Okay? Full stop. No apology. That is, that is, yeah, we're not going there. All right, so our Lord Jesus Christ picked Paul. So what do we do with that? Listen to our Lord Jesus Christ's representative. Listen to him. Listen to our Lord Jesus Christ's representative. Now, I'm going to ask you what might, you might perceive as a trick question. I don't intend it to be a trick question. I think it's actually a fairly clear question. Was the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians written to us? Was the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, was that letter written to us? You're like, no, it was written to the Colossians. Was it written for us? Like, oh, yeah. All right, cool. Good. Now, the tricky part of Bible study is that to understand, like, what do we do with that, we have to kind of roll back and figure out what did they understand these things, right? We've got to bridge this gap between the then and the now. And this is all of Bible study. So we're going to listen to our Lord Jesus Christ's representative. Now, what is the, what is the common denominator between Paul the Colossians, and us. Yes. And? And? There's, there's one more. Yes, that's exactly right. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are still doing the work that they do. Then, they are still doing that work now. And, they were gracious enough to leave us a hard copy, right? <sighs> Goodness gracious, what a wonderful God we serve. Did not leave us on our own. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy. Oh yeah, he's here too, right? <laughs> uh, th this is Paul's most frequently mentioned brother, which I think is just wonderful. Right? He was just there. He just showed up. He did what he was like. This was, this was wonderful. So my, my application from like Timothy being there was Paul was not alone. He was not alone, which is gorgeous. So what do we do with that? Remember, we are not alone. We are not alone. Now, the... Modern English translations do something just a smidge wonky here, and I think it's right, but it's not literal. Okay? So I'm going to lean into this for just a second. So if you're looking at page 20, you see Timothy, you see the bracketed information after that. So that's Timothy. It occurs 24 times in the New Testament. The only time he shows up is Colossians 1.1, as opposed to Paul, who shows up three times in Colossians, all of which are about, hey, I wrote this. Um, it says, Timothy... And then what's the next Greek word there? See the little O with the squiggly line on the top? Ho, right? Ho. What, it, what is ho? Ho is a... It's a what? It's a definite article. Do you translate definite articles as pronouns? Nope. There's a different Greek word for that. The literal uh, translation of this would be Antimothy, the brother. Okay, 
Does that make it a super wonky English sentence? You're like, just a little bit. Is it obvious that Paul is about to go into a lot of plural talk, just like he did in, this is on purpose, Philippians? <laughs> I'm starting to get it clear in my head. Yeah. So, it, it could also be some type of a, there's some commentators that talk about there's some type of a special status that Timothy had as being like, he was the brother. Uh, if, if, Every one of Paul's letters used this, I would say, sure. This is kind of the outlier. So I don't, I don't know that I'd press too hard into that. So let's not make too big a deal about this. But I did want to point out the literal versus, hey, thank you, English translation, for not making this uh, as uh, wooden a translation as it could have been. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy, our what? Our brother. Why are they brothers? Because of Jesus. All right, but so? That didn't sound family-like. Why are they brothers? Adoption into the family because they got the same daddy, right? Brothers either have the same daddy or the same mama. And here, they got the same daddy, which is really cool. And we're going to lean into that a lot here in just a second. And then he goes, I'm on page 21 now, to the saints. Now, this is another interesting translation choice. And I don't say that uh, like I'm going to throw shade at them. I, it's, it's a legitimate way to, in, uh, to translate this text. What part of speech does that word saints in our English translation fill? To the saints in Christ. What is that? That's a noun. What part of speech is it in the Greek text? It's an adjective. You're like, well, why didn't they translate it as an adjective? Because this is one of the super wonky, weird components of Greek, is that in scenarios like this, it can kind of go either way. So you could render it, render is to translate, to the, uh, uh, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, in Colossae. That's totally acceptable. Or you could say, to the saints, in Christ, at Colossae. And the reason most of the, uh, the, reason most of the translations put it this way is because this is how Paul does it in his other letters. You're like, well, that seems like a weird reason. This is what they did. I'm just going to be clear with you on what they did. So, they're not, no. The, the guys who sit on the translation committees for copies of the Bible that we would go and say, yes, that's a good copy of the Bible, um, they, they believe Paul wrote Colossians. Like that's a, it's a different level of like, uh, theology quiz to go sit in that room, <laughs> which I think is helpful. All right, so let's take a look at uh, something N.T. Wright said on this. Uh, Paul often refers to Christians as saints, uh, but this is not an advanced level of holiness because you've heard of, you're like, oh, so-and-so's a saint. And it's like, oh, this is, no, 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 no. This just means set apart from the world for God. This is, you're in the family. This is where we are. Um, and let's go to Cartwright as well. There may be a gap between these two. I don't think so. So this is one that I did not show you a couple of weeks ago uh, because I want to point out a new resource that I found on my bookshelf. 
it's awesome when you can go shopping in your own home, right? This is kind of cool. Uh, so this is the Reformation Commentary on Scripture. This is from uh, Philippians and Colossians. I bought it for Philippians. I never got to it. So I opened it for the first time this week when I was rearranging all the books in my office because we got some built-ins, and I'm so excited, and I can't wait to show you pictures. And I know you don't care, but I'm still really, really excited. Uh, and I found this in the, in the section on Philippians. And I was like, well, that says in Colossians. Maybe this is a cool read. What these knuckleheads have done, they have gone back and read all the reformers and pulled out snippets from their commentaries and these are like the greatest hits. <laughs> I kid you not, it is, my brother Dwayne Allsbury would say, choice. Like this is just, it is so, so good. So Cartwright knew, he knew about the whole adjective noun thing. And this is what he says, which I think kind of splits the baby in a beautiful way. They're called saints for two causes. One, without themselves, right? So not because of themselves. It's something that's been done to them. The other, wrought within them by the Spirit of Christ. So the wrought within is the holy life. The wrought without is the you are placed in Christ. Bam! Look at that. Now, the language is wonky and slow, and my reading rate is about 50 words a minute with these guys. But... It is some good stuff. So you cannot borrow this one, but I would reference you to it uh, to go find your own copy. So there we go. So to the saints, so whether they were holy or whether they were set apart or whether Paul has left the grammar slightly wonky on purpose to split the... Like, I don't know, maybe so, maybe so. The important thing is where are they spiritually located? Where are they spiritually located? In Christ. And I want you to notice that the order here is beautiful. He talks about their spiritual location in Christ before he talks about their physical location in Colossae. Now, our English translations, most of them say, well, at Colossae. Um, it, you, could go, you can translate in as in or at. Either one is fine. Uh, so they're, they're in Christ spiritually. They're at Colossae. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Colossae. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about Classe so far, but I want to give you an idea of the flavor of the city from a spiritual perspective. So let's take a look at uh, a quote from Beale. Uh, so the evidence from ancient coins found in the area. Pause right here. I'm going to stand here so you can't read the rest. So Colossae has never been excavated, which is a huge problem because we don't know a whole bunch of the details about Classe that we know about all these other towns. The reason Colossae has never been excavated is Colossae was not important enough to be excavated. It is, by almost all standards, the least important city that Paul ever wrote a letter to. It was just not a big deal. So, however, they have found stuff sitting basically on the surface or just below, like not a full excavation, but a like topical review, and this is what they found. Reveals the worship of such deities as Artemis of Ephesus, Zeus, men of Phrygia, Hygieia, Athena, Bull, Demeter, and Selene, in addition to the Egyptian gods Isis and Serapis. Y'all all come in. Everything's great. This is the... This is the um, did y'all ever have... My mom's not on this morning. Uh, Sunday night at our house was like a sometimes a leftover melange of all things that we'd had the week before because we're cleaning out the fridge and you know this is what we're going to do and it sometimes it results in some interesting combinations 
Uh, sorry, just had a flashback. Uh, I, I'm not dizzy. I'm not dizzy. It was just like painful there for a second. Uh, this is what is going on here. The, the easiest way, like the one word to, that would probably describe it best is syncretism. And you'll hear me say that word a lot as we go through, which is basically a little of this and 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 a little of this, which is one of the reasons it makes it so difficult to pin down the actual thing that Paul is writing against. Now, if you uh, have been in Christianity for a long time and had anybody who was in Bible college in the 60s or the 70s or maybe the early 80s teach you, you might have been told that uh, Gnosticism was the heresy that Paul was specifically uh, advocating against. Uh, the problem with that is when you look at all the components of the things that Paul is arguing, it doesn't line up with Gnosticism exactly. It lines up with a whole bunch of different things. And if you take a more synchristic, synchristic approach of it's a little bit of everything, I think we kind of get closer. And you can't make me fight about that. Like I'm okay with disagreeing on that because what is the answer to any and all combination of not Jesus. Jesus, right? It does, like, you're going to land with an unfiltered, beautiful view of who Jesus Christ is. All right, so let's look at one more. Uh, oh, I'm reading this one. Uh, so the crazy thing, uh, this is uh, James D. Dunn, and uh, there were a lot of Jews in the area of the Lycus Valley. So before I read this one, I want to take a look real quick at the map. <clears throat> so just as a reminder, we're here in the space of the world, and we'll go one further. This is kind of a zoom in. So you got Colossae, Heropolis, and Laodicea. Of these three cities, which was the big, yeah, we're the city on the rise? Anybody know? Laodicea. That's all right. Which one was the, oh, no, we're the city on decline? Colossae. Uh, we actually believe somewhere around 12 to 24 months after Colossae got the letter, that's when an earthquake hit Colossae and didn't like finish them off, but it certainly didn't help things. Like this was uh, <clears throat> building codes weren't great back then, and earthquakes were kind of the thing that would wreck everything. So in this area, though, there were a lot of Jews. Josephus talks about this. Uh, Philo talks about this just all over the place, uh, that uh, Antiochus the Great settled 2,000 Jewish families uh, about uh, in, the, in the late 3rd century BCE in this area. And then there was a, um, uh, who talks about it? In Flacco's uh, history, uh, there was a war going on, and right before this letter was sent, a shipment of gold was captured. Now get this. This is math in Bible study. You ready? A shipment of gold was captured moving from the Lycus Valley area to Jerusalem. And this was the temple tax for that year, right? So you got a half shekel of this and of this and of this. And you can basically say, if we know how much gold was captured and the Romans documented it, we can back into how many adult Jewish males there were. Math for the win, baby. There you go. So there were somewhere around 10 to 12, maybe as high as 14,000 adult males. Go to that uh, Lycus Valley picture again. In here. So there was a hardy, hardy Jewish population 
but it was still not the predominant because this is a trade route and this was where Gentiles did their trade. All right, so all kinds of stuff. I just want to give us a, a big picture of where we were with uh, Colossians. And then one more after this. I think they've got one more quote. Yeah. Um, so we've got in Christ, in Colossae. This is beautiful. The in Colossae and the in Christ implies that the Christian's spiritual location in Christ should affect how they live in their physical location. Right? Boom. We went to math to that. It was awesome. I love it. All right, so whether you live in a small town, whether you live in a big town, I don't think it matters. My application at the bottom of page 21 is all people in all places need a clear picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. All people in all places need a clear picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do with that? What we're going to do is we're going to focus on the answer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because a whole lot of ink has been spilled focusing on the problem and trying to articulate that, which I think is helpful, but we're going to focus on the answer, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful. Now, this is, this is an unusual word for Paul to describe. He does not use faithful very often. He uses faith a lot. Right? He talks about the justification and regeneration and conversion, the elements of salvation. Uh, but he does not describe a group of people as faithful very often. I think Moo has a quote on this too. When calling his readers holy, it's difficult for Paul. Addressing them as faithful is not. So, and he, then he calls them brothers. Moo's got another quote here. He calls them brothers. Uh, this is probably my favorite one. I'm going to use yours, Sandra, in just a minute, but this was a, a better one on uh, family. So it reminds us that we are members of the same family. We should adopt the attitudes and actions necessary to maintain our familial unity. That one stung me for a while. I, I really didn't want to put it up on the PowerPoint because I didn't want to say it in front of you guys, but... Necessary to maintain our familial unity. What an interesting way to think about how we engage with each other. Would that action or would those words maintain familial unity or not? Would it build up that or would it tear that down? It's an interesting question. And then he gets to the actual greeting here for them, the formal greeting. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. So a couple of applications here. Number one, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ produces faithful brothers and sisters. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ produces faithful brothers and sisters. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ produces faithful brothers and sisters. Oh, my mom is watching. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, and our personalization for that is believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. I would argue that this is the price of admission for understanding Colossians. Pagans are going to read through this book and they're going to go, eh, that's kind of weird. I would agree. wasn't written for you or to you. Right? This is for us. Uh, if you want to say this another way, do the verb to be the adjective. You've got to have faith before you can be faithful. 
The order matters. Yet the order switched around is not helpful at all. And then everybody's favorite application, Paul, application number two here, Paul fills the format with our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul fills the format with our Lord Jesus Christ. He just stuffs it full. So what do we do? We fill our speech with our Lord Jesus Christ. Where are opportunities to input more talk, more communication, more truth about our Lord Jesus Christ? So Paul fills the format with our Lord Jesus Christ, so we fill our speech with our Lord Jesus Christ. Enter the turducken, right? Every opportunity we can, we are talking more and more and more about our Lord Jesus Christ. But this grace to you and peace is not just from anybody. This is from God. Who? This is from God. Our. And now it is a personal pronoun. And it is a first person plural pronoun. He is including them in this. God, our Father. See, the Spirit is the communicator of this message. The Son is the object of this message. And the Father is the source of this message. We have a beautiful Trinitarian engagement to make us family. And then we come to where I want to land today, this wonderful quote from Pace and Aiken. One of the most glorious truths about our salvation is the reality of our acceptance into God's family. Yay. It's for us. <sighs> you are not an orphan. You're not. You're part of a family, and that's pretty awesome. So, application, last one of the day here. God's children are family. Bottom of page 23, God's children are family. And I would say two personalizations from this. One, behold it. Like, be in awe about this. This is awesome. This is absolutely awesome to behold this. And then behave like it. Let's behave like it. But, oh, yeah, there's nothing in the greeting. It's just something to skip over and skip past. Josh's commentary, the guy didn't even reference it. <laughs> all of God's words, all of God's words are beautiful and glorious. Even when they're not written to us, they are still for us. So that's the lesson for today. Uh, you should have on your hand, on your table a handout so if you would make sure that your name is down there on the attendance side and uh, share any prayer requests once you are finished with that you're free to go and to worship this one who is worthy of spending a whole lesson on the greeting to a letter about him he's unbelievable awesome thanks for coming today guys appreciate you thanks for engaging and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.